Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. In season two of Hacks and Hobbies, we're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life who want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, I get to speak with Ron Newcomb. He's an organizer, moderator for the VIP Film Summit, and that's one of the first ways I connected with him. He's a director, writer, actor, and producer of The Forge Studios. He's written and directed many award-winning short and feature-length films, and I was like, hey, that's, some, that's the place that I've been struggling and been passionate about for the past many, many years. How can I get a behind the scenes of what it takes to have a short film that's, that's been produced and out there and, and um, how to connect with people? And I figured Ron is the perfect candidate for, to talk about that. So Ron, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on to the podcast. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate it. I feel like there's a lot of good synergy for sure. And a lot of people I'm hopeful can resonate with this because we all have that, uh, many of us have that uh, entrepreneurial spirit and the biggest business acumen as well as that creative element people like to tap into. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And um, being on the side of the camera where you shoot, I've had some opportunities where I got to be on a set where we're, it's a indie film and they, there's a crew of small people and we're out in the cold in, in, in early day in Colorado and it snows coming down and I'm shooting behind the scenes and I'm like, wow, this is, this is a ton of fun. You're, you're fighting the elements, but then you're also capturing some really good shots for what the director has in mind or what the story has in mind. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. It's that collaborative, creative medium. And a lot of times those beauty shots, the aesthetics, it does take, um, you know, the certain right alignment of things to come together to be able to really kind of capture it uh, in, in the lens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little version of your story. Um, since my audience is, this is the first time they get to hear from you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the film industry, what inspired you and uh, where does it, where does this all start get started? Yeah. So um, I kind of came way of an actor. So back when I first started out, it, mm -hmm. there wasn't any digital opportunity. And so I started out as an actor, mm -hmm. um, really grew up as a jock in uh, in my younger years, but when I went to college, they didn't have any sports or anything. And so I had always desired to um, do some acting and I had done a very little bit when I was really young mm -hmm. and um, decided to audition for a play and I was cast and that just solidified the bug in me. So as a result of that, I ended up um, doing a bunch of auditions, getting cast in some things. Mm -hmm. And I picked up a local agent and the DC market, which is where I'm at, we call it the DMV, yeah. DC, Maryland and Virginia. Uh, it's just not a huge, and particularly then was not a big film or, or uh, acting area. We had certainly some theaters, um, 
for stage performance, but nothing really on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the digital age came and that kind of changed all that. And so I went uh, uh, in the Marine Corps when I was younger, got out and moved to LA for a very short time in around 1994 to 95. And um, most people probably don't remember, but there was a minor recession back then. It was just very difficult to get a job. Mm -hmm. So I ended up coming back home uh, shortly thereafter and I became a police officer. And I thought, well, you know, that's my acting days are over Mm. and that's kind of behind me. But I ended up meeting a friend of mine on the police department who is a fellow officer a guy named Jim Clock, mm-hmm. and you can look him up on IMDb. He's done several film projects now, but he too had the acting bug. And him and I did a project to get together. He was definitely the lead point person on it. On it, and it was a an indie feature, very indie, um, around the year two thousand. Mm-hmm. And it showed me though what could be done, what was possible in the digital age. And I thought, man, this, this could actually be something. And so as a result of that experience, I started to pursue to see if this is something I could do. Mm-hmm. And in 2006, I was hired on to be a director of a feature, um, attended this uh, um, screenwriting program that was very stringent. It was an eight-week, uh, six to eight-week course called Act One. It was very intensive in screenwriting and television writing. Mm-hmm. And then just started to self-teach myself. But I, I tried to get on to other sets and it just wasn't a lot going on. So by proxy, my love for the industry and to do acting, uh, I found a love of directing. Mm-hmm. And I produce as a byproduct of wanting to keep projects going. And so I ended up writing, co-writing and producing and directing my first feature film called Rise of the Fellowship. And that was kind of getting like an MBA in filmmaking. We ended up getting uh, domestic distribution. We sold in 19 countries, translated, I want to say 13 languages. Wow. We sold units to Walmart. It was on Netflix, you know, and the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And it made enough money to just get me addicted. So for (laughs) For six years, I did filmmaking full time. Wow. Um, and just always some trying to, you know, enhance the craft and to add value to different projects. And so people do in the area, the word's kind of gone out, people do come to me and uh, with thoughts, comments, questions, or just help trying to mm-hmm. get stuff done. Because although it's gotten less expensive because the gear has gotten less expensive mm-hmm. and consumership is an all time high. There's also a, just a mass volume of content being created. And so how can you get seen or heard through just all the noise? And so that's another, you know, thing that one must consider in trying to tell a story and then get it out there. Absolutely. It's that's, that's, quite a story that's quite a journey man that's that's really cool yeah no definitely we're not, and we're not done yet because no, you know, as, as you know uh selfishly i wanted to meet certain people in the industry i just mm-hmm. felt like i wasn't getting to the decision makers a lot of us indie filmmakers talk about getting shows on the indie friendly platforms called the streamers yeah. which is you know netflix amazon hulu but 
although they're disruptors in distribution, the way they take on content is very traditional. And yeah. so one must have an inroad in there. And regardless of what people think about Hollywood and LA specifically, that is where the decisions, the major decisions are still being made at that executive level. And so I set out to try to get connected. I started out with the hypothesis of how could I level up and take this like your show, um, yeah. hack this hobby of mine. It was more than a hobby. <laughs> it was a passion. You know, it was yeah. a, a calling and I wanted to be able to try to hack the system. And so you, you, there's four prominent ways. You're either going to find the right producing partner. And we know that in the entrepreneurial world as a joint venture, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to um, get a manager or an agent you're going to get a, an executive to believe in you yeah. or you're going to find an investor to invest in your projects and you're just going to go make it. So I put together this thing, as you indicated, where you and I first met, yeah. uh, this event called the VIP Film and TV Summit with that hypo hypothesis in mind. And I flew out 20 VIPs mm -hmm. and we would do an hour long seminar talking about those topics with those specific uh, panelists and then 10 filmmakers per panel would get up and pitch these people yeah. uh, with that, with the desire to get projects going. I knew that in the, in my area, I wasn't going to be able to do filmmaking full time unless not only could my project be greenlit, but so mm -hmm. could yours and so could your listeners yeah. because the more projects we have, the more opportunity there is. And that can create what I call sustainable filmmaking. And that's the goal. It's not where one person gets rich. It's where we can all do this in a full-time capacity yeah. and not have to, you know, I have, I have a master's, I have a wife, I have four girls and another mm -hmm. little one on the way. I have a house, I have two cars, you know, and yeah. I only bring that up because we live in the real world. There's real world expenses. Exactly. And, you know, the arts in particular, and although filmmaking um, is a business, it is labeled as one of the arts, it doesn't get kind of its fair due and what people think uh, you're willing, you know, people, the expectation of what it costs. Yeah. Also, part of the problem is, is when the digital age came in and stuff got cheaper, everybody and their brother and their nephew and you know, um, a high school student that's teaching classes, which is mm -hmm. great, yeah. but it gave this false expectation that, you know, this 17 year old uh, kid can get out with a camera and film something. And although some may be able to do some great things, mm -hmm. there's still some aesthetics and art form that needs to be built. Those 10,000 hours of mastery can't just be leapfrogged and bypassed. No, no so, way. No, that's that's absolutely right. You know, um, in in the entrepreneur world and in the social media marketing world, you know, we talk about this. You know, sure, your your teenage um, nephew might be a social media expert, but when it comes down to creating ads and creating revenue and bringing people into your business, yeah, you can't expect that from a seventeen year old spending all day on social media. Yeah, right. They're, they're great consumers. They know yes. how to do certain hacks. But when you're trying to run it as a business, mm -hmm. um, you know, we all know the saying's true. You're going to get what you pay for. Exactly. Exactly. That's beautiful, man. And and the more I, the more I delve into this film production arena, it's the more 
my eyes are open and, you know, I see, wow, there's a whole lot of process involved. There's so many people involved in creating anything, be it a short commercial to a short film, to a feature length film. And we'll see hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of names on the back of the movie. Like when the movie's over, there's thousands of names scrolling by. And these are people that were essential to creating the product that you just consumed. Yeah, what I love about film is that it is an art form, but it's one of the few art forms where it's taking several artists, musician, mm-hmm. musicians, sculptors, um, painters, you know, uh, CGI artists, all these different artists and coming together under one um, specific piece of art. Yeah. Um, however, I would like to note that it what I find fascinating and the reason I really want to highlight the role of the producer, the producer is the one that green lights the projects and gets a project going. And without mm-hmm. the producer, all these other people get nothing. Yeah. So it's that one person or, or few people that, that champion a project. And as a result of it, it creates all these jobs. Each film is like a small little individual LLC, a little yeah. company, and it has its own breath within that company um, that I find truly fascinating. But, you know, it, it can be uh, addicting as well. I, I yeah. love it. And I just, you know, if, if you're out there listening and you're wondering if this is something for you, I encourage you to explore what the role of producer is. Yeah. That's probably the entrepreneurial spirit that you want. And then there's, there's producers even have some say over the aesthetics, et cetera. So that'd be the role I encourage people to look at. No, absolutely. Producer are, are super important. And for the longest time, uh, I didn't know till I attended the VIP film TV summit and I, and I learned from Tom Malloy about being a producer and what it means and from the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm going to be behind the camera and be running the camera and, and technology. And, and I had no idea about lighting. I had no idea about sound. But I was like, oh, got this camera. I could do all of these things. But no, so many things go into it. And then the more I looked at it, the more I was like, you know, connecting the people who have the talents, who can do the thing is as important as the idea itself. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that, that is, and you are exactly right. You're, you are describing the role of the producer. Everyone thinks the director has all the power. And although <laughs> creatively the producer has brought them on to execute their creative vision, yeah. the reality is the producer is the one in charge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They, they bring the big bucks. They, they bring all the people together to be like, all right, this is what we're shooting. This is the project. This is the timeline. Let's get this done. Where do we need to go? And then we involve uh, people like um, uh, scout scout agents. And then, God, I don't even know know half the terms that go into this. But it's it's a area that I am exploring more and more every day. Yeah, no, I, I encourage you to. And if film interests you, particularly not just as a hobby, but as you start to drive into, is this a potential uh, business opportunity? I would encourage you to look at that. Um, mm-hmm. Another podcast to check out would yeah. be The Producer's Guy Ooh. 
by a guy named Todd Garner. Um, they just wrapped up, but it literally was in uh, the last couple of weeks, and he's got a ton of episodes where he goes out and interviews true, legitimate working producers in the industry. And I, if you're interested in this, something that's starting to create an itch in you, I would encourage you to go listen to um, The Producer's Guide by Todd Garner. Todd Garner. Perfect. I will check it out. Um, what I have been doing in the past um, three to six years is getting more connected more to the film industry, connecting more to the actors, the producers, the directors, and, and how they uh, unveil and how they go about producing a film. Uh, and luckily, being part of Kickstarter for the past many years, I was just counting the other day and um, I've backed over 20 different movies over the time. And I was talking to one of the, the gentlemen on the Kickstarter project and they're like, yeah, yeah, you're a producer on one of these movies that you backed. I was like, really? So I, I looked up on IMDb and like, there I am as a producer <laughs> back in 2013. Nice. So it's pretty neat. Um, just, Absolutely. yeah, just having that monetary, also helps to be to get that project moving forward as well yeah you know 100 percent. and i i would say that you know if this is a hobby for you it's an expensive one. Oh my right? god and so so you need to find a way in order to try to to turn it into that you know bringing in potentially money back and and we're we live in a great time where crowdfunding is an option. Mm -hmm. um, you know, money's not a problem, it's the problem. It's the problem. But with crowdfunding, you're, it's kind of interesting because not only are you getting funding and buy-in and, and the crowd of the word crowdfunding is probably more important than the funding part. Oh yeah. The, the crowd, the crowdfunding is interesting also because it kind of green lights your hypothesis. So you have a idea for a film, a short or a show, you're putting it out there into the world, giving them a taste of what you want to do. And the world will decide if it's going to green light your project. Yes. I, I believed in this so much that I partnered up with some guys. So I predominantly do fantasy and sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, not because, not that I don't have other stories, just because I found a niche there. I know how to sell in those mm -hmm. arenas. And I partnered up with some um, other filmmakers and we created our own distribution platform called oh, nice. the Fantasy Network. So if you go to thefantasy.network, and this is specifically with the creator in mind, with the thought that all of us are creators, all of us have a story to tell, mm -hmm. and we just need to be given the opportunity or taught how to do it and yeah. collaboration to do that. And then we also needed the means to be able to get it out under a unified banner to reach to the masses because a film is not made in isolation and it's not meant to be read. A film is only birthed when it's seen. And yes. so it's a visual medium and it needs an audience to give it life. And so exactly. don't go out there and try to do something yourself mm -hmm. when there's other great joint ventures out there happening around you. And yeah. if I would encourage you, if you are leaning into a fantasy or sci-fi, mm -hmm you know, to look us up, we can come alongside and help not only with uh, a potential crowdfunding opportunity. Yeah. One, of, one of my business partners has raised over $2 million. You've heard that right. On That's awesome. Kickstarter. And, is, um, 
It, you know, that is, is that the or, is that the Aerostorm Network Entertainment? No, what Aerostorm? That is a company called Zombie Orpheus okay. uh, Inter- Entertainment, or mm-hmm. sh- they call it Zoe for short. A okay. guy named Ben Dobbins runs that. He is mm-hmm. a excellent entrepreneur, excellent filmmaker. Nice. Uh, great guy, kind of a fan of the people. If you ever go to Gen Con, which is this gaming convention mm-hmm. every year, he's like a rock star there. But nice. my other business partner, as you indicated, um, is a team called Aerostorm Entertainment. Now, yeah. they have a TV show called The Outpost mm-hmm. that's on the CW right now. Nice. So they're creating these VIP business development opportunities for all of us. And when I say all of us, I mean, that could be your listeners, yourself included. If Mm -hmm. you do fantasy or sci-fi, we consider this a we opportunity. Yeah. Uh, So you can go on to it. We have apps in, you know, Android and uh, Google and Apple and Roku. And you can go and watch the bulk of our content uh, for free. In fact, nice. we're kind of revamping our model to basically mm-hmm. give it all away. Yeah. The understanding that those of us who really get it know that you can't do film uh, with zero dollars. And so yeah. the monetary element is a, is a way to get an, a, a deeper driven subscription yeah. where you can get training elements and access to Discord and wikis and um, some other things that we do creatively are we have worlds or IPs, intellectual yeah. property, that is on our sites that we allow people to co-create in. So for instance, I created this world of the Rangers and mm-hmm. I give it freely to allow you to go create in that world legally. Most time when you're doing, um, you know, let's say you go create a short in the Star Wars realm. Yeah. Even though you're not making money, that's mm-hmm. not a deciding factor of whether or not you're in copyright infringement. Uh, we shouldn't be, most people say, well, I'm just doing a fan film mm-hmm. and I'm not going to sell it. That's yeah. not the differentiating factor. Right. It's someone else's IP. You're not allowed to do it. Now, traditionally, mm-hmm. George Lucas has loved fan films. Yes. Um, but Disney owns it now. And mm-hmm. they, they were smart where they didn't isolate that. They actually have a Star Wars competition where oh. they allow you to go in and use certain things under their guidelines. Nice. And as long as you follow that, you can do it and put it out there wherever you want with their blessing. That's so right. There's a, there's a way to do it. Plus, a lot of times we find that a lot of people are uh, very technical and might not mm-hmm. be as creative or they're, they're great directors or might not be great writers. And so it's putting these teams together. And sometimes we just need a playground. So yeah. again, we've created these worlds that you can go and create in. Um, we have another world on the network called Strallers. It's mm-hmm. kind of a what if scenario. What if magic was in modern day, but it was considered illegal. And they have these cops or kind of agents that hunt down these magic users. Oh, wow. You know, if that's kind of fun <clears throat> or sounds interesting, you can go and create in that world. And we have had teams in Mongolia, we've mm-hmm. had teams in New Zealand, literally all over the world filming wow. in the Strowler's universe in Ireland. It's been really cool and it's the community doing this together. That's that's just too fantastic, man. Uh, I have been, so it's a little background. Uh, so I had been in, involved in the, not not really involved, but been passionate about video and production for many, many years. And, but I didn't, till I got my first DSLR, I didn't really take it 
or learned too much about, okay, these are the things that you need to look. And what you're all explaining, it all comes down to, or came out of, um, back in 2014 or 2013, I joined uh, local film clubs in Denver, Colorado, because I had the free time. But then when I moved to the, to the DC, DMV area, I was like, all right, I need to connect with people that are shooting films, that are producing films. And I was lucky enough to participate in a few short films and just going down that path and, and learning and, and applying what I'm learning to more and more things. It's just been, it's just been an amazing journey so far. And what you're telling me, you know, the collaborative power of people here working in DMV, is just blowing my mind. Like why didn't, like how did not how did I not know about this for the past you know the many years I've been living here, but now I think everything is happens for a reason, and just recently um, I've joined, I've teamed up teamed up with a um, friend of mine Chris McPhee and my friend Diana Riffey on, um, and we're he's been running this sh- uh, media shop called Green Beret Media, and he's just focusing on. Photo, sh- photo shoots and whatnot, but we're bringing the film element and doing more and more commercials. And I've been lucky enough to have taken up more of the video production side and shooting more commercials. And our dream is to have a short film in, you know, in a, in a film festival eventually. But what you're telling me is that there's more and more people that are open to collaborating and building these things out. Oh yeah. No, I think we live in a day and age where um, technology is very comfortable. And so people have gotten really good with collaborating online and you don't even need to be in the same geographical location. To give an example, we created a epic fantasy adventure called the Rangers. Mm -hmm. Um, And our lead CGI guy was a guy out of Germany. Oh, wow. So it was great because I'd be editing or um, overseeing editing. We had an editor. We had a team that was working on it. We'd Mm -hmm. edit segments. We'd put it online. We'd send it to our CGI CGI artist, Stefan, Mm -hmm. over in Germany. He would, while we were sleeping, he'd get up and be working on the stuff. So by the time we awoke, he had something to show us. It was a great collaboration. Wow. That's so, yeah. Yeah. You don't, you know, life is not meant to be a solo sport. We're no meant way. To be in community and yeah. film is the same way. You're better off co-collaborating with others. And there are people out there that want to collaborate with you. I love it, Ron. I love it. So walk us a little bit through how you uh, went, um, through the Kickstarter campaign. And, and I see that you, you've, you've managed a few of them. And um, you created a few of them and, and they were all pretty successful. So what's the little process of what would somebody need to do if they wanted to create their own campaign for a short film or a feature film? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, one, I, in all sincerity, not because I'm trying <laughs> to just say my uh, website again, but I honestly think that if you're going to do fantasy and sci-fi, mm-hmm. you really should reach out to the Fantasy Network. We help oh, absolutely. Set up. Uh, Kickstarters, we help people run them. 
But um, let me tell you a few things. So mm -hmm. Kickstarter has been fantastic and has been a game changer, but yeah. it simply has just gotten hard. Oh, yeah. It's I bet. just extremely difficult, particularly for film. And why? Mm -hmm. It's because a lot of people that raise money didn't do what they said they were going to do. Oh, or yeah. it's taken a lot longer than anticipated. Mm -hmm. um, I, fall prey, I have fallen prey to that where I have a feature film that the goal of the campaign was to get it in front of the eyeballs of the studio executives. Yeah. And although we've had some fantastic meetings, the, the opportunity still, is still ongoing. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, people want, we live in a want it now oh my God. time frame. And so, you know, a life cycle of a film, I have found not only in my own life, but in talking with other filmmakers, that it's a seven to nine year average of getting a film made from the moment you say, Hey, I have this cool idea to mm -hmm. seeing it on the screen is, is about seven to nine years. So imagine that, right? Wow. I have 23 flushed out ideas. Mm -hmm. and, and you, you, so it just takes a long time. And when yeah. you're out on Kickstarter, people don't, didn't realize how long it was going to take. These are the backers. And yeah. so they started, you know, getting upset with the filmmakers of like, you know, it's been three months. Why can't we watch this yet? <laughs> now, some people got really smart, like mm -hmm. Aerostorm Entertainment. Yeah. What they traditionally do is they use it almost like kick finisher, where mm. they're already 80% done with filming. Um, and they're just using this to um, probably, you know, add some aesthetics or CGI elements they might not have been able to afford. And quite honestly, just to get the fan engagement involved. Mm -hmm. So they got really smart that way. Nice. But there is a way to kind of bring a, a, a film opportunity to life. And one of the questions I get often is, you know, film is visual, as we've already said. When you're doing a crowdfunding campaign, people generally want to see something. Yeah. Maybe 90% of your backers are only going to watch your video. They won't even read your page. Yeah. Although you have to have a nice page, your video is what's going to capture everybody. People will watch the video first, and if they like it, then they'll read your page. Exactly. Um, however, let's say you're going to do a fantasy. Now, a lot of people ask me, well, should I do a little sizzle film? Mm -hmm. And that can be a two-edged sword. Yeah. What I mean by that is, if it's really good, of course you want to do a sizzle. Mm -hmm. Or if you're like Aerostorm and you're just about done anyway, so you got all this cool stuff to show, heck yeah, show it. Show as much as you can. That's what people are buying into. Yeah. Think of it as kick finisher. However, mm -hmm. if you do a sizzle and you're just doing little elements and just to be direct, if it mm -hmm. sucks, <laughs> if it's no good, yeah, you just shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. And you'll feel because you took time out of your weekend, probably filmed an entire weekend. You've got a lot of people together. You'll feel obligated to use the footage, even if deep down, you know, it's not very good. Uh. And what you'll hope is you'll hope people will kind of extend grace. And mm. yeah, the people that love you will, but not the traditional backers. No, you really have to discern whether or not a sizzle is going to be, I, if you're going to spend the time on that, I have found with the proper story elements and a passionate, honest, authentic request mm -hmm. and a call to action that can get just as much, um, just as many backers as showing something. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the first caveat. The okay. second is try to 
only give your rewards to be digital rewards. Nobody cares that much about getting a t-shirt mm -hmm. and the margins are just not there. You have to be very careful that you don't give away all the money people are giving you to make the movie away to the reward for filming. So Kickstarter takes about, and they tell you this, they'll take about, about seven to 10% okay. due to Kickstarter fees and like credit cards getting turned down. Mm -hmm. You'll lose about seven to 10% right out the gate. Then you're going to spend about another 25%, maybe as high as 35% on fulfillment of Kickstarter rewards. Yeah. So that already you're up to like 40% mm. on, on expenses and you haven't even rolled cameras yet. Oh my God. And then you say, hey guys, we're going to do a Blu-ray and we're going to do a DVD <laughs> and we're going to do t-shirts and a coffee mug. Anytime yeah. you offer a physical product, mm -hmm. you need to understand the cost there. One, if you're going to ship it internationally, a huge expense. Yep. Two, you created a physical product that now you need to go make. If mm -hmm. you can keep the items digital, way better. And that's the way people are going to consume it anyways. Yes. So a digital download. Um, here's some other digital rewards. Artwork. You mm -hmm. could do the poster an HD copy of the poster yeah. for the Rangers. We had a really cool map made so you could download this map and use it for your role-playing campaign. If mm -hmm. you wanted to, nice. um, you know, you have, you have the score, right? So the music, uh, yeah. you can, those are all great digital downloads. Yeah. Now I say that with the caveat, ironically, after I say all that, our number one reward area mm -hmm. was signed DVDs. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so I'm saying don't do, <laughs> But, but we didn't, you know, you don't have to do Blu-ray or you don't have to do t-shirt. T-shirts yeah. are just a lost leader. I mean, yeah. yeah, they look cool, but no one's really going to be going out. You're not going to hit a tipping point where, you know, a million people are wearing your t-shirts and it's mm -hmm. spreading the word that much. Yeah. This is about your fans and your fans really want you to use the money to go make the movie, not exactly. get them a t-shirt. If they were going to go buy a t-shirt, let them meet you at a convention mm -hmm. where you have a booth and you might have some t-shirts then. Yeah. But I, I try to stay out of other people's businesses. Mm. What I mean by that is I try not to do T-shirts. Now I have a box of T-shirts in my basement. Mm -hmm. and so this is lessons learned, right? Yeah. This is because I've done this stuff. Exactly. So, so try to keep your rewards digital and your fans do. Your fans want you to. But mm -hmm. secondly, try to keep your rewards reasonably priced. I, lately I've been seeing digital rewards. People mm. want 35 bucks. Wow. You know, for, for a 25 minute short film, that's, a, and, and that's, this is like a friend of mine. So I yeah. want to support them, but mm -hmm. that's, you know, I'm not saying it's going to break the bank, but to yeah. get a 25 minute digital copy of which you'll probably put out free later on anyways, mm -hmm. is a hard pill to swallow when yeah. I'm trying to help you out. Exactly. So a digital reward of even like a feature should mm -hmm. be about what it costs you if you were going to watch it on Amazon or something, yeah. it, sh it should be around 10 to $15, no exactly. more than, no more than 15 bucks. And that's probably going to include the other downstream rewards that mm. are underneath it. So you'll probably get the, the poster, the score all with it. Because remember this, you're your biggest fan of your IP, but if your IP or your story doesn't become popular, then no one really cares about the poster or the score. Yeah. If, if they love the film, those assets become extremely valuable. 
but they're not going to love the assets and dislike the film. It's yeah. the film above all. Exactly. So you, you have to have, uh, um, you know, a great film. Now, film starts in writing. So I encourage everyone, please, please, please get the script right mm-hmm. before you roll cameras. Don't assume that you're the writer, director, producer, actor, and star. No. And, and editor and score. You know, you're going to do it all. You don't need to be a one-man show. You should at least have a few others that know about story, craft, and screenwriting to read your story, to offer yeah. feedback and notes. And I encourage everyone to do a, uh, a table read if you can. This is just mm-hmm. where you bring in actors and you, they literally read um, and through auditory means act out, if you will, yeah. your script so that you can hear it for the first time. And then ask those people, have a survey ready to go, a little questionnaire, and see if they got lost at certain points or mm-hmm. were bored. Or, I mean, wouldn't you want to know that before you even roll cameras? So, oh, yeah, exactly. You know, those are ways that you can engage uh, the fan base in order to get it right. Wow. But you have to start building your fan base before you even start to think about a Kickstarter. Exactly. And I know it's a catch-22. I know what I'm asking. And it's mm-hmm. why I keep going back to you don't need to do it alone. Yeah. Come to us. Yeah. Uh, the Fantasy Network, and we can help you. We have a ravenous fan base mm-hmm. that is raring to go, and we can't feed the beast fast enough. But I guarantee you go out there and try to do something on your own. It's just going to be a hard lift. Yeah. Now, if you're like, Ron, I'm just going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, let me encourage you to do a couple things. Try to pay, and I mean pay for. Don't just get you know a freebie. Pay for some concept art. People yeah. love to see concept art. Pay for, maybe do a photo shoot if you're mm. going to do a fantasy or sci-fi project. Yeah. Maybe you can highlight, uh, if you have a, a what's called a DP or director of photography, mm-hmm. get, get their reel and highlight their reel. Um, wow. If you have certain things, again, it's a visual medium that you can show, show your audience what you have. And then don't expect your Kickstarter to cover your entire budget. So oh, yeah. if you're if you're trying to do a you know a fifty thousand dollar project, I've seen people make the mistake of that's what their goal is. Now <laughs> I say that with the caveat mm-hmm. that if that's your budget, then hey, that's your budget, and you don't want to undersell and then not deliver like these other people because that's why people are very suspicious of film kickstarters lately. Mm-hmm. Kickstarters do really well with physical products, particularly like board games. Yeah. But right now, films are just really difficult, but because uh, Zoe, my buddy Ben with, uh, mm-hmm. and co-owner of the Fantasy Network has done so well is because um, they deliver, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, what's great, one of our rewards that we give, give is a subscription to the Fantasy Network. Mm. And so you, know, you get access um, to a bunch of content that you wouldn't be able to do just as an individual. Exactly. Um, but those are some things that you can start to think about and then find ways. Don't think that they are going to be passive. Nice. Find ways to engage your, your fan. Get them info- involved. Ask about their opinion. Trust me, the word crowd and crowdfunding is more important than the funding. And yeah. I, know, I know that funding, we just said and all agreed that mm-hmm. money's not a problem, it's the problem. But you got to understand without the fans, 
you creating a visual film that's meant to be seen, if no one sees it, it doesn't matter about the funding. In fact, mm. it's almost worse because you've wasted it because now no one, no one's going to see it. Exactly. No, you're, so, you're absolutely right. That's, that's so true. You, you gotta, you gotta get the crowd. You gotta get the people involved before you even start something. And um, a great example of a Kickstarter for a physical product was uh, when I watched um, and I learned about uh, the Switch Pod. And this was created by uh, Caleb and um, Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income. And he was saying that they advertised, before even they even launched the Kickstarter campaign, they advertised and talked about this product for about a year. And he's got a network of 130,000 people on his email. You know, both people are in the film area. So as soon as they launched a Kickstarter product, they've been teasing it. And to the people, within the first day, they were able to raise the funds that they needed to get the Of course. No, see, that's that's brilliant. And that's great. That's exactly right. You need to be banging the drum. And there's certain things that you can do. Look at you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're doing a podcast. You're doing the very thing. You're building the fan base. You found a a need, a desire that you weren't finding outside of this. And so you Mm -hmm. created it. And let me tell you, podcasts have become the new comic book. Mm -hmm. Um, Hollywood right now is actually buying stories off podcasts. In fact, if you have a fantasy or sci-fi story (laughs) that you think you could turn into a podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Because that's a low-hanging fruit that doesn't take a lot. But -hmm. they're doing these. This isn't like just a regular podcast. These are narrative um, uh, podcasts with sound effects and music. And um, there's some really cool ones out there that I've encouraged people to check out that interest you. But that's another way that could be a little bit not as expensive as trying to take on like a feature film. Um, The other thing is, is that I've realized that, you know, film it just money spends fast and films Mm -hmm. can be expensive. And so people are creating these films, particularly features and spending just enough money to lose people's money. Yeah. You know, and it impact, um, you know, if you're in the 250,000 range, that's just enough money to have people lose it and to Mm -hmm. feel that impact. Yeah. Um, you know, before you pull the trigger on that, try to get a seasoned producer on board. And again, reach out to me. I'm Absolutely. happy to talk people through yeah. and help people with those things. Fantastic, man. See, one of the things that I've been um, working on or trying to get started is um, a, a gentleman reached out to me and he's like, hey, I want to do a a small pilot episode for a real estate development in the D.C. area. And I was like, all right, that sounds good. Let's, let's uh, get the script rolling so then we can figure out what it would cost, what it would take all to get that rolling and what your, um, what is your final product is going to be and where you want to put it. So we're still trying to get through that scripting product process. And he's been busy with, because he's an actual realtor for the past 14 years, he's got projects going, moving forward constantly. So, I'm definitely going to reach out to you. I'm like, hey, Ron, how can we do this? How is this possible? 100%. Nope, happy to help. And that that's exactly the perfect example mm-hmm. um, that we just talked about. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Ron, I have some questions for my guests that I bring on. 
So let me go through them. Um, What is one hobby that you wish you got into? Um, You know, video games. So I consider myself a storyteller, right? Mm -hmm. And video games, of course, who doesn't like to play them? Oh, yeah. You know, video games, something that I find very intriguing and there's a huge volume of story. Um, it's not that I'm not into games. I mm-hmm. wish I had more time to be oh, yeah. into games. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. It's like there's not enough hours in the day. So nope. if I had a hobby, and I love all the things that it does. It's story. It's bringing. I love a co-op. You know, mm-hmm. you're bringing people together. Yeah. Um, you can be anywhere in the world and, and have your crew, have your tribe that you can go out with. So I wish I had more time to do gaming. <laughs> nice. Well, well, guess what, man? Uh, as as your kids get older, you will have the opportunity to be to play video games with them. <laughs> that's that's a good point. Touche. Nice. I like. It. Cool. All right. What is your favorite movie or television show? You know, man, it's it's hard not to uh, <laughs> geek out to Lord of the Rings. You could probably tell I'm a I'm a mm-hmm. fan. So you know, Amazon spending a billion dollars on the new Lord of the Rings TV show. Wow. I, I am, I'm salivating. I just cannot <laughs> wait to see that. Um, I, I'm such a geek and love Lord of the Rings so much that uh, some but very close friends of mine and I, like brothers, in fact, we went and flew to New Zealand in 2006. Mm-hmm. I swore I'd never get a tattoo unless it meant something. Here we are in New Zealand at the same place. If you know anything about Lord of the Rings, all Mm -hmm. the guys in the fellowship got an Elvish number nine. Yeah. My two best friends, we all got the Elvish number three at the same location in New Zealand uh, tattoo. So that tells you how much of a geek I am. So I got to go. I got to go Lord of the Rings and I got to even say, I'm just salivating at the Lord of the Rings (laughs) show. That's going to be put off by Amazon. That's awesome. I did not know that they were putting a show out, um, a TV show around the Lord of the Rings. That's going to be really cool. Oh, it's going to be great. I mean, no better studio than do it. You know, Amazon, Amazon has the money. Yeah. To do it. They seem to be really treating it with reverence. Um, it's going to be before the films. Okay. Um, I think like in the second age. But so, you know, hey, there's, there's more stories to be told. Oh my God, way too many. As much as I love Tolkien, mm-hmm. you know, all of us have a story, right? Oh you yeah. Know, story. I have a story and there's no yeah. reason to limit the world to just a few epic tales. Let's go tell a few of our own. Exactly. So when you say it's going to be before the Lord of the Rings, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be sitting right between the Hobbit Trilogy. I think even I think even even before that I think oh, really? it's okay. like yeah I think it's in the second age it it might be like you know 2000 years mm. like before Lord of the Rings um there's rumors that originally it was going to be a young Aragorn um okay. and then there was rumors that it was going to be a young Sauron mm-hmm. um and um so they they haven't quite Amazon's done this cool thing where on Twitter, they keep mm-hmm. dripping out pieces of the map oh. and, and the map keeps changing. <laughs> and so they're letting people know and guessing what age they're going to release the show in. Nice. I'm going to have to check that out. All right. Next question. Who is your favorite superhero? Uh, superhero. I got to go. It's hard not to like, and it's probably the actor too. Mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. Nice. You know, Wolverine yep. is a fun character. I know he gets a little dark. Yeah. Um, but you know he's got a dark past, and that mystery 
and story element, you know, as a creative, he's a complex character and I Mm -hmm. like that. So got to go Wolverine. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Last question. And you did mention this earlier about board games. So if you were a board game, what would it be? Ironically, I am working on a board game for uh, our IP, the Rangers, and I love a good strategy game. So if I was going to go with one that is in existence already, Mm -hmm. um, if you're familiar with axes and allies, it's kind of like risk on steroids. Okay. Uh, It's during World War II, you know, the axis powers versus the allies. It's five players. There's money involved and armies. It's a strategy, turn-based strategy game. Nice. Um, so yeah, I got to go Axis and Allies. When I was younger, we would play like entire weekends Wow. Uh, on, on one game. Nice. That's awesome. Cool, man. Thank you so much. And where can my audience find you? You mentioned a lot of different websites and uh, networks and whatnot. Where yeah. is the one place? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to, to please do reach out. So the easiest is the fantasy network or the fantasy dot network. Um, the Forge Studios is my personally owned production company. Okay. You can go there, but you can find me, Ron Newcomb, on LinkedIn, okay. on, on Facebook. All my contact information should be there, several email addresses, but the easiest is going to be ron at thefantasy.network. Perfect. Uh, you can send me an email there. And, you know, again, you don't need to do this in isolation. There are people oh, yeah. to help you out. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ron. This was this was a really exciting conversation. I've been waiting to speak with you for some time and, and we're glad that we're able to uh, get that on the books. Yeah, same. Me too, man. I know life is hard, right? We, it's, it's easy to get busy, but sometimes you just gotta, you gotta stop for a minute. Exactly. uh, You know, not just share the roses, but get other people in the boat. And so if you're listening to this, it's time to put foot to action and get in the boat. That's right. Do it. Awesome, Ron. Thank you so much. Have a great day, man. All right, you too. Thanks for having me. Bye. Congratulations. You made it to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening to our guest on this episode. Please send me an email at junaid at hexandhobbies.com to tell me what you loved about our guest today. You could find links mentioned in this episode on the hacksandhobbies.com website. 